0: Hey, this is Amy Chambers. And if you want to learn the six and seven figure science to success and how to significantly increase your revenue and learn how to successfully build professional relationships, you should be listening to the Sell Without Selling podcast with my good friend, Stacey O'Byrne.
1: I'm really excited to get into today's episode. And really quick, if you're a business owner, entrepreneur, or sales professional, and you haven't hit the level of success that you've wanted or needed, or if you're stuck and needing a pivot in your business and your success, or maybe you just want more, and you understand the importance of having a coach to help identify the blind spots, increase accountability, and help with success strategies to take you, your business, your income, And your success to the next level. If this sounds like something for you, then head over to pivotpointadvantage.com/slash. I want success. That's pivotpointadvantage.com/slash. I want success. There's a quick application there that will lead to a personal phone call with me to see if we're a great fit for each other. All right, let's do this. Today I'm speaking with a really good friend of mine, Amy chambers. Amy has over 21 years of experience in the financial services industry and has spent 15 of those in leadership. When she was 17, one of the fathers of a family she babysat for asked her to work for them every day during the summer before her freshman year in college. She declined saying she needed to get a real job. The father then suggested she interview at the bank to be a teller. She didn't even know that this man worked at a bank, let alone which one. Then Rich Gold was a district manager of m and Bank, a regional Buffalo-based bank. Today, Rich Gold is president and COO of m and Bank, which will become the 12th largest bank in the country after its current and ongoing $7.6 billion acquisition of People's United. Amy took the teller job at m and Bank and worked as a teller during summers and breaks all throughout college. As a floating teller, she had the unique opportunity to work for a week or two at a time at roughly 20 different m and branches and observed an interesting phenomenon. Even though each of these branches were part of the same organization and only a few miles apart, their cultures were wildly different. When she realized it all came down to the same one factor, leadership, her profound interest and obsession with understanding leadership was born In 2004, upon graduating the University of Notre Dame with her bachelor's in political science and philosophy, she joined M&T's management development program and worked in the DC metro area for the next three years, holding each and every role in a branch, including branch manager. She obtained her investment securities and insurance licenses and found a true love for wealth management as well. In 2007, she relocated to Southern California so she could pursue her MBA at USC, where she concentrated in marketing and general management and spent a few years as a branch manager at both Wells Fargo and U.S. Bank. She's been a part of numerous clubs, organizations, and boards during her time in school and after including Director of Communications for multiple alumni clubs. By the time she was 28, she was managing a 15 branch territory and overseeing 260 people for B of A, Bank of America, and has held numerous district manager and regional director roles before ultimately becoming chief operating officer for a credit union. She still keeps in touch with Rich Gold, especially now since they hold the same title. During her years as COO, Her organization has grown to assets at a rate of nearly 20% annually from $465 million to $605 million in its first one and a half years with the help of Amy's leadership. Throughout her career, she's led over 500 people to success. She's worked with and for every kind of leader imaginable. And in her two decades of observing, studying, coaching and mentoring others, she's developed a framework of principles that work every time to help transform culture, engage people and deliver results every time. After losing her most beloved uncle to ALS in 2015, and also going through a traumatic breakup that same year, Amy made a decision to transform her mindset and put hundreds of hours into studying the principles of mindset, satisfaction, happiness, and fulfillment. She worked to overcome fear, take control of her destiny, and pursue goals she had only dreamt of, but never quite made reality. Amy trained herself from being unable to run a mile without having to walk into a marathon runner. In the past six years, she's ran 166 half marathons, nine full marathons, and hundreds of other races, totaling almost 10,000 miles. She also became an avid skier, something she she was once deathly afraid to do. Amy is a longtime cyclist, rollerblader, tennis player, and photographer. Some of her favorite accomplishments include a gallery opening she hosted for her photography and biking a few 100-mile century rides. In 2020, she bought her dream home and currently resides in Long Beach, California with her boyfriend of four and a half years, David. Amy prides herself on reading a book every single month. She now is finishing up her own first leadership book and is eager to make a career change into helping other leaders find the same success and passion for the leadership game as she has. I am so excited for you to hear this conversation with Amy. Amy, welcome to the show.
0: Thank you so much, Stacey. And uh, thanks for the, the wonderful bio. It uh, got me excited just hearing about it. Awesome stuff.
1: <laughs> I'm like, you Did know- I do- I know. I know. Really. It's like, I get so excited. I can't wait to meet the person. I'm like, oh yeah, I already know her. <laughs> so how are you?
0: I'm doing wonderful. As always, Every day's a choice. And so uh, choosing to be happy is how I start my morning every
1: day. It's doing great. I love that. I love that. As a matter of fact, our tagline is choice is a powerful thing and suffering is always optional. Okay. So, so that's phenomenal. So, you know, I, I'd like to to introduce our listeners to you because I have the pleasure of really knowing you. And and something that, that really impressed me was how many times you made the Dean's List. I mean, you made the Dean's List seven out of eight times, right? What does it take to really strive for excellence like that. I mean, what, what does it require of you? Was that a goal you would set? Share, share that with us.
0: Sure. Uh, probably the first thing that, that got me motivated is uh, my parents told me if I didn't make the dean's list, they were going to stop helping pay for it, and so uh, that got me fired up um quick. And and I, I have to joke uh, the the first uh, semester was the one I didn't make it, and and we had quite the conversation when I came home for uh, freshman break. But um, you know, a few things happened. Um, you know, so so first things first, I I started off in. Um, you know, what I thought someone else wanted me to do. I started off as a biology, chemistry, um, double major, a pretty aggressive you know, schedule uh, for a young you know, freshman at Notre Dame. I, I came in thinking, oh, I'm smart. This is gonna be a cakewalk, kind of like how high school was. I immediately found myself surrounded with Valley Victorians and salutatorians of, you know, the best schools all over the country. And I suddenly was, oh gosh, I'm a kind of a small fish now in a, in a big pond. And, and what i found is that, um, you know, to have success in anything, you really have to love what you're doing and be passionate about it. And that's, what's going to keep you going when it gets hard and it will get hard with anything. And so you can't be, um, there. And when I say there, I mean, anywhere for anyone else, but yourself you can't you know be there for someone else's reasons and so, what I realized um, as freshman year was kind of winding down is, you know, I'm not, I'm not passionate about becoming a doctor. You know, that was a, a childhood thing that, that I thought mom and dad wanted me to do. It sounded good, but, you know, speaking and, um, and, you know, uh, ultimately helping other people, you know, see things, uh, that's really where it's at. And so I, I switched my major to political science and philosophy. I found myself in smaller lectures rooms where we began to talk about ideas and concepts and, you know, had all sorts of different ideas at that time. Maybe I'll I'll go to law school and become an attorney. Maybe I'll I'll end up in business, which is you know what happened. Um, but what I found is that my passion and love was greater somewhere else. And once that was in place, the hard work, the late nights, uh, you know, the, the focus around, you know, work and studies became easier, um, or at least it became a, a lot more exciting. It was still hard work. Um, and it required discipline and habit formation of, you know, I got to get these things done. I can't just wait till the last minute, but I enjoyed it. And, and as I've, I've looked mm-hmm. at anyone that was ever at anything, you know, Kobe Bryant and in, in basketball, or, you know, the best celebrities, sports athletes, anyone that's really had major success. They all say the same thing. I loved what I was doing. And so um, if you're feeling like work or school or whatever it is, is a chore, something might be wrong there. And it becomes very hard to achieve and be successful because you just don't have the stamina to put the hours in. So, so that's really, I think, what, what allowed me to, to be able to do that.
1: Nice, nice. So then, so then you, you experienced or had your first professional experience at the bank, right? right. Yeah. So, so, so when you got into banking, is that what, what made you realize this is it for me? This is my home.
0: You know, um, that the biggest thing that happened, uh, you know, probably was my first year out of college, and I was going through this, this management development program I was spending time as a, a banker at the branch and so um, for those of us that are in financial services it's that person that sits at a desk that opens accounts takes your loan application, you know, calls you to tell you when CD rates have gone up or down. And uh, I had this this couple come in. And uh, they were, you know, sort of in a in a really tough situation. Uh, lots of credit card debt, and they were struggling with with bills, and they just didn't know what to do. And they were looking for some advice. And we ended up doing a home equity loan for them at that time. This is back in 2000, late 2004, early 2005. And through that process, uh, we were able to consolidate all of their credit card debt into this one single payment, pretty low interest rate. Uh, They were having a tough time getting approved. It was kind of on the line. I was able to call the underwriters and and get the deal to go through, um, especially by pointing out how much it was going to improve their situation, their debt to income. Everything was going to become better because of it. And uh, what ended up happening a, a few months later, probably half a year later, um, I'll never forget her. Her name was Sandra Thompson and her husband was Tim. And, and Sandra Thompson came in and found me in the branch. And she had this beautiful bouquet of flowers and a $50 gift card. And she says, I really want you to have this. Um, and I said, oh my gosh, you know, this is what I do. You know, this is not necessary. And she says, you don't understand. You've, you've changed our life, saved our marriage. And um, so, well, gosh, yeah. you know, what do you mean? And she told me in tears that at the time they had first met with me, um, and something kind of seemed wrong, but I couldn't quite put my finger on what it was. But that they were very much contemplating getting a divorce at that time, and mm. uh, you know the reason why is just you know financial strain. They weren't making their bills. And after they had gone through the process where we had consolidated all that debt, they had saved about four hundred and fifty to five hundred bucks a month in terms of income. They had taken a cruise out of Baltimore, one of those you know three or four day weekend cruises. You know, spent time together and realized that they still loved each other they wanted to be together and uh maybe things weren't as bad as they thought they just had gotten a little stuck but you know now that I had freed up all this breathing room for them financially that you know they were able to go out to dinner they could kind of relax a little more they weren't so stressed all the time they found their way back to the those feelings that they had had Mm -hmm. and at that moment I realized that um you know, that something really special had happened there that I had the power to change people's lives and and not only a, a right to ask questions and get to know people to find out how to help them, but a responsibility uh, to do that. And I I kind of never looked back. I, um, I, I realized, uh, you know, maybe law school wasn't for me. I could help a lot of people in financial services more and more things happened like that where uh, people came back and just said, you changed my life, you changed my life. And I, 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 it was always really meaningful to me. And I realized that my passion and my calling in this world is to help people improve their lives. And so I, uh, I that, that set everything off in, in that direction.
1: So, so for you, it, it was more than a job. You actually went above and beyond and, and, and looked to be a solution provider, a problem right. solver. Yep. Okay. All right, so, so 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 question, I know I know leadership, especially from your bio leadership, uh, really intrigued you. It really became a focus for you. I, I mean, to have the realization in your mid to late 20s that that environments were impacted by the common denominator and that was the diversity in leadership, that's pretty significant at, at such a young age. I'd like to go back and ask you when. When was the first time you remember leadership really impacting you, and how?
0: Yeah, and uh, hi, Rich. If you're watching this, uh, you know, exciting to be able to share this. Uh, so it was back at, at M&T Bank. Uh, I, I think I realized it a lot more, you know, through working at M&T. Um, all through my 20s. But but the first moment I, I really knew, and, and this is a little bit of a tough story, but this happens. And, and by the way, you know, we all make mistakes. And so, you know, no harm to this particular individual. But that summer, right before I went to college, my my freshman year, uh, you know, the branch I was working at um, had been doing, you know, fairly well. And we had sort of earned uh, a visit from the powers that, that be, uh, you know, some district and regional managers as I know them now. Um, came to our our branch meeting um, one morning and we were to be there early and you know, there was bagels and juice and we were going to go through some numbers and talk about things. And, and I was so young. I mean, I had only the only job I'd ever had really until this, this teller um, job in the summers was babysitting. And so I, I kind of just didn't quite know what was going on and uh, you know they talked uh you know sort of the entire meeting about you know where the the branch stood where the region stood um, a lot of things that were kind of over my head and i didn't understand but ultimately you know some profit and revenue reports and um and then they uh you know the branch opened and they went and spent some time with the the branch manager in in uh in, in their office but they had made this commitment and sort of said hey we're going to come around we're going to talk to everyone we're going to see everybody and uh, a little bit of time passed and they left and they had not come back behind the teller line to address us. And the teller next to me, um, her name was Debbie at that time, um, she got very upset, She, she locked her drawers, and, and took one off the line back to the, the break room. And you know, this was probably one of the first moments that I, I felt empowered to do something without asking permission. You know, this was my first real job. And I didn't even say, hey, I need to go take a break or see what that's about. I locked my drawer too and, and left my post at my teller window. Um, and I went back to the break room and I found her crying. And I said, gosh, you know, Debbie, what's wrong? And she says, you know, I put so much work into this morning. I'm wearing a suit. I, I bought a blazer. I did my hair. I did my makeup. This was my chance. And I said, your, your chance for what? You know, what are you talking about? And she says, well, I've been doing so well lately with my referrals and balancing. And I really want to get to the platform. I want to become a personal banker. And, you know, the branch manager's kind of been saying, you know, we need to get the district manager in support of that to, for me to be able to promote you. And they didn't even say hi to me. They didn't even address me. They don't even know who I I am. And I, I had a couple of thoughts. You know, one was probably, you know, why do you need the district manager to, you know, approve of you? You've got the branch manager right here in leadership watching what you do every day. Isn't that enough? I mean, why doesn't she just tell the district manager, this person's great talent. I want to promote them. But two, what I realized is that her whole day had been ruined by somebody else, you know, someone just not even acknowledging her and, and not paying attention to her. And and she had talked about how she had spent like, you know, $300 on, you know, getting the right outfit and, uh, you know, kind of putting time into that morning, and that was like, you know half of one of her paychecks. and And I realized she had put so much effort into that, just that one incident or that one event. Um, But, you know, someone in leadership wasn't even aware that she was feeling that way. And I just made this commitment to myself right then and there. I thought, gosh, if I'm ever in leadership or I have, you know, the responsibility for other people in my charge, that is never going to happen. Mm -hmm. Um, Many, many years later, when I became a district manager, my team used to make fun of me. Um, I usually wouldn't even go say hi to the branch manager until I had gone around and talked to every single person that worked in the branch. My branch manager used to say, you know, gosh, you're the only person that knows like the first and last name of the entire region. And I always thought, yeah. Yeah, they work here, you know, indirectly for me, but they're, they're working for me in some way, shape or form. I'm going to know who they are. And, um, and that became very important to me because I never wanted to imagine that someone could be crying in a break room somewhere and I wouldn't know about it because they had hoped for this time with me or this moment with me and they didn't they didn't get it and that really drove a lot of success um and and really became kind of a profound impact on who i i became as a leader your people matter you spend time with them you get to know who they are they're the ones making it all happen they're the most important so uh, i I never forgot that and and again i was, it was just a month before my my 18th birthday back in in 2000 it was 21 years ago. um, And I hadn't even gone to college yet. And and that I still remember it vividly. So thank you for asking. No, no,
1: that that's a phenomenal story. And, and i like to go back and grab a couple golden nuggets that you just handed the listeners, you know, human element in business is vital. It is critical, crucial, important. Reality is Everyone that you are interfacing it. In. It doesn't matter if you are low man on the totem pole. It doesn't matter if you are the CEO, the COO. It doesn't matter if you are a shipper or a receiver. It doesn't matter if you work for someone or if you own your own business. If you're if you're a salesperson, if you're a direct sales leader, it doesn't matter. The person that you are interacting with, if they're an employee, if they're a downline, if they're a coworker, if they're a prospective client, if they're an existing client, they're human. They have a life. And it, it's, it's divine human desire. It's divine human need to be recognized, to be appreciated, to be accepted, to be, to be seen, heard, understood. And so many people show up in such foveal vision and such tunnel vision for the outcome that they actually miss the interaction.
0: Yeah, what so you're saying I, is is so true. We we get so wrapped up in in achievement or accomplishment. I'm sure those executives that day had a million things to do and meetings and yeah. appointments and I got numbers to deliver. We need to do more things like this. That sometimes we we miss those those inner workings. How that's going on and and like you say, Stacy, that that human interaction. It's kind of where everything starts. And especially for those of us in leadership or you know serving others, whether like you said, it's a vendor, a client, uh, you know, someone in your family. Um, we're never a one-man show. Um, ultimately, you know, we do nothing alone, and so uh, to not pay close attention to how the people around you are feeling and what they're thinking and what their goals are and their dreams are is a huge, huge misstep. And I, I honestly, I, I see it happen all the time. Uh, you know, I've, I've seen the very best of leaders, I've seen kind of the, the very worst, and uh, you know, it's it's like the, the old saying goes: you, you know, you never really care what someone knows until you know how much they they care. And uh, so everything you've said, I've I found to be true, you know, in droves, over and over again.
1: You know, the, 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 sooner anyone in business doesn't matter if you're in business for yourself or you're in someone else's business, the sooner people realize that we are in the business of people, yes. doesn't matter what you do. That's, that's right. when you really elevate. That's when you really play a totally different game. Right? right. So, so I'm, I'm curious because let's see, you've, you've ran over 10,000 miles, you've (laughs) you've rode, you've rode thousands and thousands of miles on a bike. I have a friend that, that does century rides and, and, and I'm curious, you know, I look what, when I look at business people, I look at, at transferable skill sets and transferable mindsets, you know, having been all army softball and all army basketball, you know, it takes it takes a very specific mind to show up at that level. And it takes a very specific mind to succeed. So, so for me, I always knew, and I always believed how I did some things is how I did everything and how I did the little things is how I did the big things. So. Everything you do in life, it seems like you show up and play full out can you can you talk about what you really tap into and what that looks like for you?
0: Yeah, absolutely. And uh, there's so many things I could say. The first that comes to mind in, and just you know to give some credit here, uh, Carol Dweck's book Mindset changed my life. and yeah. one of the things I realized after I, I read that material and really thought about, kind of the mindset I'd have for a lot of my life and, and as, as well as I had done in in some cases, I found myself to have, you know, what's called a, a fixed mindset for a lot of my life and, you know, I really kind of compared it to the mindset I wanted to have, which was this growth mindset and sort of to break it down and, and at least in the way I understand it, uh, you know, definitely not a researcher or a psychologist and so I, I give that as a full disclosure but uh, ultimately, if, if we approach life always wanting to get better and evolve and grow and learn, uh, there's a few things that, that happen if you have that agreement with yourself. Number one, uh, you don't mind failure and, and you don't mind making mistakes and you don't mind when things are hard and when things are a struggle because you know that at the end, all of that is just part of the process. It's part of the journey mm-hmm. at helping you, you know become stronger. Uh, as Kobe Bryant says, and I, I mentioned him before, you know to master your Craft to really hone, uh, you know, that that skill that you have, or that game that you play, or whatever it is that makes you you. And, and so you don't have to be afraid of those things and, and run away from them. And, and that's kind of an exciting breakthrough to have mentally, because once you have that, um, you don't kind of turn your nose up at things just because they're hard or a struggle or because you're not initially great at them. Um, running became fun for me because I, I just had this goal of I just want to get better. I, I just it, it doesn't matter what my time is. It doesn't matter if I'm winning the award. I just want to finish. And just the fact that I'm out here, like doing something that had been so difficult for me for so long is a huge Accomplishment, and when I approached it that way, the bad days, the the sweaty, ugly, tear-filled days of like, oh my gosh! It ended up being 85 degrees. You know, this this race is you know on eight million hills that I didn't I didn't see coming. Uh, you know, my headphones died, and I don't even have music to to listen to. Uh, you know, gosh, i I got a blister on my foot now. I'm kind of in pain. None of that kind of. Um, bothered me or, or became the end of the world because I would say, well, well, this is great. This is great that that's happening because look how, how challenged you get today. And if you can mentally, you know, go through that challenge and still feel good about it, that's going to help you in other areas of your life. And I, I found that to be true. So I, I think the biggest thing that helps us when we're, when we're getting better at anything and I totally agree, you know, how we do one thing is how we do everything. But when we approach business, our relationships, our athletics, our sports, uh, with this mindset of, you know, I'm, I, I'm not going to be perfect. I, I'm here to learn. It's a process. Um, I'm going to make mistakes and fail. That's okay. It's supposed to be hard. Uh, but that's the the joy of it. Uh, again, it, it's kind of like what I said in the beginning, it kind of gives us that stamina to go to go on. The second thing I think that is is important, and this is just, you know, not a Carol Black mindset concept, but it's just sort of, you know, true, uh, you know, habits, you uh, can either be our friend or our our foe. A lot of our life is run by our subconscious mind. And our our subconscious seems to gravitate towards what's familiar and what's comfortable and what what we've done a million times before. And as uh, we teach our subconscious mind, you know, habits, and and we can teach it bad habits or good habits. um, But once we teach it the habit of, hey, I get up every morning and I train, I practice, I go on my ride, I go on my run, you know, I, I do some sort of physical act That's what we do. Uh, Over time, um, it it becomes not as much of a struggle to get your subconscious excited to do it. Um, I've been working at that for so many years that now on days where I don't go work out, um, maybe I have to take an early flight uh, or, or potentially there's an event or something. Something just stands in my, my way. It's rare, but something will stand in my way that will prevent me from getting that, that morning training or that morning workout mm-hmm. in. I, I feel off all day. My subconscious is almost saying, why aren't we working out today? What, what's going on here? You know, we, we're supposed mm-hmm. to be doing that. And so creating uh, disciplines, habits, routines, and doing them for enough months or years that they become part of who you are really really helps us uh you know to to get the hours in that we need to practice like you said sports or or anything in life Mm -hmm. Um, but when we're when we're inconsistent and you know we don't go if it's raining and we do go if it's good weather or we we don't go if we get invited to a morning brunch um, but we do go (laughs) if we have no plans when we allow the outside kind of forces to dictate you know our habits instead of saying i just do this no matter what this is my routine and i'm going to stick to it We, we create a world of hurt for ourselves because we never really develop kind of the routine regimen needed to say, this is kind of who I am. It's what I do. And, and that Mm -hmm. sometimes gets too challenging to keep up with. So those, I think those are the top two things I would say that have kind of allowed me to, um, you know, practice sports and definitely not with excellence, but at at a level that I'm, I'm really enjoying it at.
1: Yeah, and and everything that, that you just mentioned is applicable in any area of life. I mean, yes, when, when you really look at, at success in relationships or success in your finances or success in your journey in, yes. in your health or in business or in sales or in leadership or in your spirituality or your self-care, your self-mastery, it's all a culmination of consistency it yes. really is Absolutely. It, it, so so yeah yes i think that's a very valuable point so i want to i want to hit on something because because you said your your, your number one point was was you learn to not mind failure so how has failure been instrumental to your success
0: I think the one of the biggest failings I had, and I, I talk about this a lot, uh, it, it's probably the best thing that ever happened to me, was uh, back in 2015, I went through this really rough breakup. And I, I know all of us have been through rough breakups. This one was bad. I, I was blindsided. Uh, you know, I, I thought I was going to marry this guy. We had been living together. I had this whole life kind of planned out for us. And when he kind of walked out with, with no notice and, and just sort of just said, I'm done, and there wasn't a, an opportunity really in that moment at least to have a discussion about it. Thank <laughs> I realized something had gone wrong and and for the first time in my life I decided it was my fault and I I figured out um, you know how to use that event to to get better it was the first time I hired a therapist which I, I strongly recommend you know maybe it's not for everyone until that moment I'd already sort of seen that as a weakness so you have to have someone to help you like you know feel happy or, or be psychologically sound uh, I, it's it's much much more than that it, it has been probably one of the biggest game changes for me uh, I have this um, objective Objective, unbiased kind of third party that's not a friend or a family member or wrapped up really, you know, intricately in my life. And she's kind of there to call me out on my stuff and sort of say, you know, Amy, uh, you got issues. And, and I started seeing her that was six years ago, I, I still spend time with her uh, bi weekly today. Uh, you know, she's, she's been a huge help in, in my life. Um, you know, she encouraged me to read a whole bunch of books. One of the ones I just mentioned, Mindset, was one of the first I read. Um, I, multiple others that, that followed it. Um, I, my boss uh, has been a fantastic mentor to me. Um, but, you know, that failure, uh, when I looked back and sort of understood, um, you know, what was happening, kind of that moment of crisis or trauma, uh, it, it was it was strong enough and stark enough and emotional enough that it, it made me want to do something different. And, and sometimes, you know, we see this, um, sometimes we don't, you know, people go to the hospital for a heart attack or a stroke, they come back, they still don't change their diet or their, their regimen, uh, you know, but, but ultimately, um, you know, major trauma or tough events can be very powerful. I, I had um, an old friend that, that had the saying, um, that which um, hurts instructs. And if we allow ourselves um, to use failure as a teaching moment and kind of sit with it and say, okay, why did this happen? You know, what what you know, led to this? What, what was I doing that, that maybe you know, didn't lead to my success in that moment? And then we get to say, you know, can, how do I learn from that? How do I how do I act different next time? Failure can just be one of the best things that happened to us. Um, I became a very different person um, after that that breakup, uh, and, and ultimately I I had failed. by, you know I hadn't been a great partner. I hadn't really sought to understand. Uh, you know, it had kind of been all about me, and I hadn't even really noticed that my partner was struggling. And I, I just knew that I didn't wanna have that outcome again. I didn't wanna be blindsided and alone and, and confused as to why. And I made this choice to say, I'm going to do something about this. I'm going to, to change. Um, same thing with, with running, uh, You know, some of my business my failures. I, I, we learn a lot from our, our mistakes, um, but only mm-hmm. when we allow ourselves to. We have to be able to sit. It's, it's kind of like watching tape on, on Monday morning if you're a sports coach and you go back and you review you know the plays yeah. second by second, and you can say, okay, they're, they're right there. That moment, that thing, that's what we need to to correct. And most people don't do that with failure. It doesn't feel good to them. So they try to just get past it as quickly as possible and move on to the next thing. But if we say, okay, I know failure is a part of success. You know, these are the things that are going to help me get better in the future. We pay attention to it and we allow it to teach us. We are so blessed and, and grateful for the failures we have because without them, we can't get you know, better. It's, it's just impossible that it's just really impossible to even imagine someone that's going to be, you know, have a perfect story, you know, from that, from childhood and infancy to, you know, through the end of their life that they're, they're never going to struggle. If they, if that's the case, they probably haven't challenged themselves enough. So I'm embracing it, spending time to evaluate it and look at it, and then figuring out how we can learn from it. If we do that, our, our failures become, you know, our, the greatest help we have to becoming who we want to be.
1: Yeah, absolutely. It, it becomes part of our tool belt. Yes. If we so choose to allow it to be, it'll That's either right. become part of our backpack that we have to carry through life as a burden, yes. or it becomes part of our tool belt that we get to carry through life as a learning and a tool to apply so that when something starts arising in our life or our business again, we've got this tool to go, I know what to do with you, Right. You made a so, comment
0: before, Stacy, about uh, suffering and how that's a choice. I, I smiled mm-hmm. at that. And I, I think I've heard you say that before. Uh, I sort of have a, a similar quote, you know, pain is inevitable. We're going to have some pain. Things are going to hurt sometimes, but mm-hmm. suffering is optional. And so we get to mm-hmm. choose how we feel about failure and, and that healthy relationship with failure. Some people really have that down. They're always much more successful. They get to say failure is a good thing. I, I like failure because when I'm failing, I get to, you know, get to the other side of who I am. If I I push through and endure it, and she's just not to view this as a terrible event. I don't, I don't have to suffer. I'm here to learn from it. Uh, you know, again, it, it, it goes fit, qu- uh, quicker, faster, uh, and it helps us uh, get to where we want to be. It's much more meaningful for us. So I, I, I love that quote yeah. you say. I think it ties in perfectly to that, that concept of failure and how we, how we approach it and look at it.
1: So, so I'll share with you where that quote evolved from. Um, when I was in the Army, I I had a drill sergeant, you know, because their whole thing is to physically condition you. And I was already very physically conditioned, you know, playing at the level of basketball I'd always played at, playing at the level of softball I'd always played at. I was in really good shape. So when I went into basic, it took a lot to challenge me. So what, what the drill sergeants were doing with me then was was holding me to to the guys times, the, the guys' yeah. <laughs> standards to really push me, you know, be, because at, at, at that time women could do push-ups on their knees and they only had to do 25, whereas a man couldn't be on their knees and they had to do 60. So that's what they would do with me. And and I remember getting to what was known as TMF, total muscle fatigue, mm-hmm. and getting there and just and just like wanting to give up, but but my mindset saying, no, continue, push through it, push through it, because I was never someone who ever quit in anything. Um, and I remember getting to a point where I was in so much pain and, and the, the drill sergeants then get into your head, quit, 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 because they want right. to be that voice that shows you where your limit is. And when you're a soldier and when you're in war, there, there is zero limit because if you find a limit that determines whether or not you live or not. Um, And I remember him telling me, you know, because I was telling him I'm hurting, I'm hurting, my muscles were hurting. And he goes, he goes, soldier, pain is your friend. Pain is your friend because as long as you feel it, you know, you're alive. That's right. The second you stop feeling it, be concerned. So, for me, from that point forward, I've learned to, to really embrace that journey because yeah. because if 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 you're living, you're learning, right? That's right. Love that. So so I, I I like to switch gears right now and 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 I know something that the majority of our listeners don't. So let let let's let's pull the rabbit out of the head and expose it, and that is. I know that you are building a leadership coaching and training company. And, and a lot of people would, would step back and go, Amy, you, you have this, this very successful career, you know, you're at a stage where you can ride high, your, your future's made Why? why would you leave it? Why would you step out of job security and, and step into another opportunity or create another opportunity?
0: Yeah, I've been trying to answer that question myself uh, for, for years, um, but I, I have come up with an answer. So uh, it's, okay. it's timely that you're asking, Stace. You know, first things first. Um, you know, I uh, another book that's influenced me profoundly is The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. Mm-hmm. This is a huge phenomenon. I, I think it came out in about 1989, and all through the 90s, mm-hmm. Stephen Covey's framework and the the Franklin Covey Corp just you know resounded in, in businesses and organizations around the world. Uh, you know, the, the book you know 60 million copies sold um, is the version I have. I'm not sure what they're up to today, um, and 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 the the work is just phenomenal. So I you know another highly recommend. I'm just putting in plugs for authors all over the the, the book map <laughs> today, but uh, you know Stephen Covey says that uh, you know if we want to have fulfillment in our lives, what we think about in our minds has to be congruent with what we do and the action we take. And he also talks about how important it is to have vision for our life. You know, the, you imagine the future. It's not just what's in front of you today and kind of being reactive to opportunities that come and just working hard and climbing the ladder. It's to really challenge yourself to be proactive and then imagine this end in mind. that's different than your current reality. And so I put a lot of work into writing uh, a vision statement. I I highly recommend that people do this and really think about like, what do I want to be 10 years, 20 years, 30 years, way down the road. And it's, it can be a very aspirational activity. You know, you're, you're, breathing about things and you're seeing yourself in a in a way and in a light that you just aren't yet. And as I wrote the vision statement, and I rewrote it and rewrote it, um, you know, CEO of financial services organization just didn't keep, you know, making its way onto the page. But what did make its way onto the page was that I revolutionized the world, you know, with these ideas around leadership and mindset and happiness and fulfillment that have helped change my life uh, so much. These tools that I got so blessed to get back in 2015 when I felt like my life was falling apart, and the guy I wanted to be with didn't want to be with me, and I didn't know what to do. And you know, back when I had this this doubt, like oh I could never run a marathon, oh, I'll never be able to ski down a mountain. that's that's too scary. I can't do those things and how I figured out how to overcome those things, I want to share those practices and those principles with with others. And so I, I think that's the, the biggest reason is that uh, it, you know it, it feels like the right end in mind for me it when I, I get excited about, like, you know, the job that I, I have and the the value I could potentially offer the world, it's in that way. And so I, it would just be such a um, a crime or departure from who I am to not pursue it. It'd be kind of almost turning my back on everything I believe. You know, there's this thing I want, I I imagine it. And we do this a lot. We think about the life we want to have. Oh, I wish I had a better house, a better car, a better partner. I wish yeah. I had better vacations. We don't do anything about it. We just kind of dream and then we go back to our real life. And that's just such a, a shame in my mind is, you know, why wouldn't you work your butt off to make those things happen. I think that leads me to kind of point number two. I want to do it because I think it's going to be really, really difficult and I want to challenge myself and have that pain. So I know I'm alive. Uh, You know, I don't want to take the easy way out anymore. I, I I want to do something that scares me a little bit and feels kind of like a risk. And I think it's going to be really uncomfortable because I want to practice what I preach about. Get yourself into that discomfort zone. Always be learning. Don't be afraid of, of failure. Um, I never want to not do something because I'm a afraid and and I, I think I spent years kind of be afraid of like well starting my own business and turning down that guaranteed salary from corporate America um, at some point I realized that's exactly why you need to do it um, you're wanting to help other people overcome their fears you got to overcome your own fear first so so here I am.
1: I love it. I love it. You know, you know, you, you made a really good point, and 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 that's about the gray zone, the the mm. comfort zone. You know, people stop living when they exist in their comfort zone. That's right. Because because no matter how uncomfortable they are, they they stay there, and it takes something really bad or really good for them to exit it. And. And when you are comfortable being comfortable or when you are comfortable being uncomfortable <laughs> in a way that, that your life isn't serving you, then, then you start daydreaming and you start ignoring the daydreams because, because yes. for you, you're not looking at them as the vision or as, as life's potential. You're looking at it as a dream. And reality is... We live in a world where anything's possible, and because we live in a world where anything's possible, then that means we live in a world where everything's possible. Because you control your outcome, you may not control the environment, however, you can control whether or not you choose to take the actions to make that kind of shift happen in your life. That's right, and we and uh, so we many go through. to right, think life- like that.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I, I, most of us go through life kind of citing circumstances, uh, you know. Mm-hmm. Oh, this happened to me, and I can't control that. I got a bad boss, or you know, it's been even COVID. I think is a great example of you know, look what has happened. I'm I'm depressed. I've gained weight. I've lost my job. You know, this has been a terrible year, all because of of COVID. Well, yeah. you know, that's that's true. COVID's been tough, but but I you know a lot of people have had tremendous success during COVID, and and the difference is not because I don't think that they were you know you know blessed or, or luckier or just in the right place at the right time. One of the things I I noticed is for the people that feel like this has been a great year, they made an active choice to make it a great year. They got laid off from a job and said, oh good, now I have time to work on my resume, to read more books, to actually figure out like the job I, I really wanna have. I have time to do that personal development project, whether it be, you know, repainting the house or, you know, resurfacing an airplane or um, just, you know, getting more into shape. Like I can go out and start walking every day safely with my mask on, but I can make decisions to do that. We're going to save a ton of money. We're not eating out anymore. Mm -hmm. You know, uh, spending money on booze. So many people approached it that way. Not as many as people that approached it like, oh gosh, this is just, it just has to be a bad year. But the reality Mm -hmm. is life is really only 10% 10% what happens to us, and it's 90% how we respond to it. And, and we get a choice every day. It's probably the biggest thing I wish people knew is that they always have a choice in how they respond and how they choose to respond. But so many people just feel like, well, this has happened. What other choice would I have other than be angry or be upset? And it's like you, you have every choice to do anything you want and, and respond however you want. And I mm-hmm. I think that that really ties into what you're saying.
1: No, I love it, I love it. So, so looking at success, you know, you, you, you had success in, in traditional education, you've had success in traditional employment. You are now putting your, your strategies, your mindset, your skill sets, all of this knowledge into pursuing success in your business what what piece of advice can you give someone that hasn't achieved success yet and is pursuing it?
0: yeah there's a few things that, that stand out. Uh, number one, I think it's it's to find someone that has done what you wanna do and spend time with them. So whether it's, you know, someone on the athletic field, it's someone in business, uh, you know, it's someone in, uh, you know, personal relationship kind of expert that's been married a certain number of years and has a happy, you know, home life. You know, find someone that has had success in the area where you're looking to have success and, and hire them, uh, you know, either at a charge or just sort of, you know, at, at no charge because they do it out of the goodness of their heart. Um, but to mentor and and coach you um, we, we so often look at people that have things and just assume that somehow they, they got lucky or blessed or they had different circumstances and they you know had something that we don't have they can do it but we can't and what usually we find if we say you know how did you do that what, what, what did it take you'll get tons of you know pieces of advice we tend not to follow those things because sometimes we look at that and say hmm well you know I don't have that success you know <laughs> you're telling me what to do to get it um, you know I don't really want to do those things it requires me to make a change. If I were doing those things, I might be successful too. I'm not. And and so we kind of discard it. But what I find is that if we if we hire the right coaches or mentors or just surround ourselves with people that are doing the things that we want to do, and we really pay close attention to how they're doing it, you know, success is not a secret. It's not like we got to reinvent the wheel every month or year. Um, but so often we just kind of ignore the, you know, you always say, Stacy, success leaves clues. We ignore the clues that are being left for us. And so mm-hmm. I think that's, that's, you know, number one is to, you know, find a person that can help us. I'm probably doing these out of order. um, But even before we find someone to help us, it's really important for us to identify what we want. Sometimes we identify what we don't want, you know, um I don't I don't want to be a doctor. I don't, I don't want to be a lawyer. I don't, I don't, I don't want to do that. But we don't really, you know, get kind of a positive affirmation of like what what do I want? And I and I do think that end in mind, that kind of vision statement helps us kind of map out, you know, as clear as it can be what the dream actually is. It should be so clear in our mind that when we wake up, we are just eager to step into it, and so you know, um, you know, setting um unspecific goals is not helpful. Oh, I'd like to lose some some weight. Oh, I want a better job. Oh, I, I just wish that I was like happier. We we have to kind of identify, you know, um, X to Y by when. And so mm-hmm. I'm I'm here. I want to get there, and I want to do it in this um time frame even if we find the right people to help us, but we don't have that kind of laid out. It's really hard for people to help us because if we're not clear on what we want, you know, other people can't be clear on it either. So I, I think those are, are two big things, you know, find someone that, you know, is willing to help you know what you want. Probably the third thing is, you know, say I'm going to willing to put the time in, you know, it's, I have a friend who always hashtags on on her runs, you know, how bad do you want it? Uh, I, I met her on a, you know, I'm, one of my goals is to run a, a half a marathon in all 50 states. And I've been running with a company called Rock and Roll. And I've met a ton of other runners that have fantastic mindsets, You know, lots of achievers and success um, on kind of this rock and roll trail. They go to about 26 cities a year and uh, I met all sorts of people. I was surrounding myself with people that were getting to these cities. They were they were winning what's called, you know, Hall of Fame. They were running race after race, and they, we had to sacrifice a lot to do that. It was, you know, you're out, you know, first thing after work on Friday afternoon. Sometimes you're flying the red eye in Monday morning to go back to work. You're running, you know, <laughs> uh, a 10K on a Saturday, a half or a full on a, on a Sunday, um, and we would all spend a lot of time together, and how bad do you want it is, is kind of, you know, her thing, and you have to do at least 15 cities to make Hall of Fame, and So we had to find 15 different race weekends around the U S and the world each year to, you know, I can get to those. Sometimes it meant juggling, you know, other priorities. You didn't get to go to a friend's, you know, birthday party or, you know, a a baby shower. It was kind of a lot of sacrifice, but I always kind of came back to that. You know, how bad do I want it? Am I if I want it badly and I'm willing to put the work in uh, and, and I don't, you know, get impatient with myself, like, oh my God, it's been six months, why isn't it happening? I stay the course, success will come. Those are probably the, the top three things I'd say. Lots of others um, that I, I look forward to sharing yeah. with people, you know, in the future, but, but those, you know, are three that come to mind really quickly.
1: No, I love it. So so I read in your bio that you are writing a book on leadership. So, you know, leadership is such a broad, diverse topic. And before we get into the book, I'm curious, what to you is the difference between management and leadership?
0: Yeah, I, uh, I feel like I've been borrowing a lot during this interview, but I, I can't help it. Everything I know came from someone else. And so I guess it goes back to that, you know, get successful people to help you. Um, so Peter Drucker, in my mind, defined it um, the best. And, and what he said ultimately is, is management is doing things right and mm-hmm. leadership is doing the right things. And, and the way that, that that made sense to me... Um, is if you imagine a ladder on the wall, great managers will figure out how to get up the ladder as quickly, as accurately, as effortlessly as, as possible. And you know, leadership um, is about saying, you know, is that ladder even on the right wall? Should it maybe be leaning against this, this other wall? And one thing I just really wanna um, say, and, and this is important to me personally, um, for years, uh, you know, I wanted to be a leader, not not a manager necessarily. I always saw managers in the branch of like the teller supervisor or the assistant manager. They they manage the audit, they they do the operations, they make sure you know you don't get sued. Uh, and and the and the leader of the branch is like all about the sales and the service. And, and leadership kind of has this sexier, if I can say that, or more glamorous perception. Like, well, we need leaders, not managers. I really believe you need both. And in most successful okay. organizations and companies, and even in sometimes in the same person having some Managerial Hmm. skills and leadership skills, it's kind of crucial that they're both uh, there. I sort of pride myself on being maybe more of a leader. I like big picture stuff. I like the strategy, um, but it's really important to get into the tactics at times as well. And a, and a business or a group with only leaders or only managers is, is gonna topple you know, one side mm-hmm. or the other. And so one mm-hmm. is not necessarily better than the other. And I, I think that's kind of a misconception a lot of people have, but in my mind, that is the, the difference between the two.
1: I think, um, you know, having been a leader in the army and a manager, (laughs) I, I really think, you know, because I was a squad leader. However, I was also responsible for intercepting the communications and everything like that. I really think in order to to be able to achieve success, you must have both. You have to have the understanding of the differences. You have to have the understanding of the similarities. And it's important that you can separate the roles so that you can divide and conquer. That's because right. one yeah. thinks differently than the other. One looks for efficiency, the other one looks for effectiveness.
0: <laughs> I, the best assistant manager I ever had when I, I was spending time as a branch manager, I, I worked for Wells Fargo. Her name was Loretta Brown. I don't, I don't think she'll mind if I give her a shout out. She did not want to become a branch manager or a district manager, although I thought she would have been really great at it. We had to have a lot of tough conversations. And back at that time, I was still learning. I was kind of trying to push something on her that really isn't in line with her skill And And now years later, and she and I still keep in touch too, but I realized, oh, she was perfectly suited for what she was doing. But she used to come to me on a daily basis and just kind of put piles of things on my desk and say, Amy, you are going to cause us so many audit exceptions. You're missing a signature here. You've, you've forgotten that. I need you to call back this client and I'd be taking things from her. Oh yeah, that's Bob. I can give him a call. He'll <laughs> pick right up. And she was like, you're going to give me a a heart attack. Um, but she was a really important complement to my skill set, and and the beauty of her was uh, one time I got very sick when I was working there, and I was out for almost two weeks, and and she led the branch in my and I my absence. Um, we had this thermometer on the wall that was kind of my baby. I was coloring it in on all of our sales results, and when I got back, um, you know the team had continued to meet every morning, do their huddles, and the thermometer had been colored in, and I I was kind of like Loretta, you know, how, did you do this? And and she had just kind of said well no but you always empower and involve other people to do things and that's kind of yours but but uh, you know I asked you know the team to do it and they got really excited about it and and I realized that she had led for me while I was gone she had gotten everyone fired up to deliver and and so she had that skill as well but but boy you definitely need both and um, and, and any team with just all one or the other, um, like you said, it, it, it kind of takes a village. And so um, when we focus on just one person's skills, we miss that, you know, we're interdependent as a society and what someone brings to the table, you know, another person can't and won't. And, and so really great leaders figure out how to put all that together in a way that everybody's kind of weaknesses are covered by someone else's um, strengths. And that's kind of my style of leadership is helping teams be complementary in their skill sets so that it, it all can get done.
1: So, so you mind giving a sneak peek on uh, your upcoming book? I'd love to. (laughs) Awesome. So tell us about it. It's about leadership. Leadership is a very diversified subject. So I'm curious, what's your focus?
0: Yeah, so uh, there's uh, I, I don't know if I'll give everything away, uh, but but as it stands today, and I'm kind of wrapping it up, um, there's seven key practices, uh, and it's not just because I love the Seven Habits. It just ended up being seven. It was it was what made sense to me that that leaders you know have or, or don't have, do or don't do. I see a lot of, you know, folks in leadership and management practicing three or four of them. My real belief is that when you bring all seven together, something magical happens. Um, mm-hmm. You know, some of the, um, you know, favorites of mine, um, there's a, a practice on, on you have to involve other people. Uh, if you don't get your people involved in, in dialogues, in the decision-making, in, you know, uh, just helping craft the course, you need get full blown breakthrough results and, and execution. You, you just the micromanagement, the directive of let me tell you what to do and you carry it out. It just does not work in this day and age anymore. Uh, we're in the information right. age. Millennials want to be involved. They want feedback. And so doing things with people uh, is is critical so that that involving others um, is a huge one. Another one of the practices, um, just to give you a sneak peek for a couple, um, you know, encouraging the heart or encouraging other people's energy and enthusiasm is is critical um sometimes you know people feel like well i pay you you know and and you got promoted last year and so you know you're doing a good job right Um, people really want to hear, and that looks different. um, And that's kind of part of that section um, for each person, but people want to hear that they're doing a good job. They want to know that their work is meaningful, that they matter, that they're valuable, that they're making a difference. Um, When they don't feel that or know that, um, you know, the work can become dull and boring. And, you know, people always say, you don't leave a company, you leave your boss. It's a great way to have people leave you is when you don't spend time valuing and and appreciating them. So, so seven practices, uh, you know, you do them all together you have something magical, you miss a couple steps, you know, you might have a team that's not, you know, experiencing a ton of attrition and turnover, and maybe you kind of, you know, hit some metrics, but you're never going to, you know, have again, breakthrough performance where things grow exponentially. People are, are so fiercely loyal to you that they have no plans to leave. Everyone loves their job. Like they can't wait to get there on Monday morning. You're not mm-hmm. going to get there unless you practice all, all seven. And again, this comes from years of seeing, again, the best, the worst, everything in between. Yeah. But I was able, to narrow it down to, to seven things that really good leaders do that the, you know, the, um, you know, more immature leaders, uh, for lack of a better word, won't do. And so, uh, so that's kind of a, a little bit of a sneak peek. I, I, I don't know if that was enough, but it. that's what I got for
1: you today. No, no, I love it. I love it. So I'm curious, will you share with our listeners, the, your, your acronym for leadership?
0: It's virtues and it's V I R T U E S. And I think some of them are kind of guessable uh, and, and a little obvious, but I think there's probably two of them in there that, that most people uh, would be surprised by. And so what I'll do, uh, I know I'll, I'll, be sharing my information shortly here, but on my coaching page, um, anyone that can accurately guess the 7 uh, we'll get a, a free half hour of consultative coaching with me. So anyone that can guess it before it's released. <laughs> Yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll that's do that. Out. Awesome.
1: That's right. Okay. Uh, that's fantastic. All right. So, so make sure you grab a pen because she's going to be sharing her info with, with you pretty soon. So, so Amy, welcome to the signature question of our show. And the signature question is: What is selling without selling mean to you?
0: That's uh, gosh. That's a great question, Stacy. You're not easy. Uh, <laughs> I, I've taken a lot of workshops and classes on on this concept of consultative selling and uh, I think a lot of people would answer it that way to me it's um, it can be that but I, I think it's something even more profound and and the most important um, aspect is that we care about the people that we sell to Mm -hmm. and we know them well enough to understand what their true needs and wants and and values are when we've taken the time to build rapport and and that's kind of a you know buzzword you know build rapport get to know people ask questions but you know there's something you know really special when we do it in a genuine authentic way where we say you know kind of like i did with the thompsons way back when in in 2004 although i had probably no idea i was doing at that time you know, but understanding mm-hmm. that someone's going through a marital you know, struggle and they're having financial difficulties and they just want to go on a vacation and they're, they're worried sick about you know their money and their income. I, I think from that experience, I learned, oh, I should know that about people. I could have even helped them in maybe more ways had I known that. But when we get to know someone through dialogue and questions and time spent with them, that we know what makes them tick. And then we say, you know, because I care about you so much and I know what you're trying to accomplish here, you know, this is my recommendation. This is my my suggestion. And there's no pressure to that. You know, it's not like take it or leave it. It's, it's just kind of, this is what I would really do. Um, the, the solution should be so well-matched Life, that, that they want to buy it. They see the value that it would have, and they really feel like the advice is coming from someone that has their best interest at, at heart—not not the company's best interest or the the salesperson's best interest, but the recipient's best interest, the client. And uh, when we sell that way, it's, it's not even really selling. It's it's just matching you know wants and needs to maybe products and services. Yeah. And, and that's what I kind of plan to do for a living. If, if someone's having, you know, a lack of success or frustration, my, my job's boring, or there's some aspect of my life that just isn't perfect, I, I, you know, if people are open to sharing with me kind of what those things are, I know I can help them achieve higher levels of success and build that better, better life. So it's not really even helping, it's, it's helping people um, change their lives um, in meaningful ways. And again, it starts with us really caring about who they are and what they want and taking the time to find those things out.
1: And reality is there's a, a starting point before that, because the only way that you can ever meet someone where they're at to take them where it is they want to go is if you are really showing up for the right reasons. I love if, that if 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 desperation is removed if the money blocks are removed if the triggers are removed this allows you to show up as the human in a human element engagement i tell people all the time you have to do the inner work for the outer to ever work and and, and it's because where you go, you follow. And if you're having a hard time paying your bills, or if you make money and lose money, or if you have a hard time with relationships, well, who do you think is engaging with the person in front of you? So selling without selling for me is all of that. And the understanding of it's about you and it's never about you. Because it's about you because you're who's showing up. You're the common denominator in every equation in your life. And it's not about you because if if you're showing up for the sale and you're avoiding showing up as a solution provider, then you're selling for the wrong reasons and you're playing a numbers game. And sales is not a numbers game. Sales is a science.
0: That's right. I love that.
1: So welcome to the random round, Amy, and I believe that success leaves clues, and I believe that in extracting these clues so that our listeners can go, hey, I really like that, and incorporate that into their life. So I have two questions for you. First, what is your morning ritual look like?
0: Love it few things on the list. Uh, Number one, each day starts with gratitude. And that gets me into a headspace where I can actually appreciate, notice, and focus on all the good things that not only are going to happen to me that day, and there's always plenty, but the ones that I'm going to create. And so when I start and let email or the internet or, you know, people's demands be the first thing, I'm already kind of behind the eight ball. So starting yep. off each morning and immediately saying and being specific three things I'm grateful for that happened in the previous day, uh, that that has been uh, crucial. I have um, uh, a morning planner. It's, it's called the high performance planner. I fill that out every morning. It tells me my intention for the day. You know, what do you want to accomplish today? What's the situation that might uh, trip you up today or stress you out? What's, you know, something that um, is going to be difficult today? What do you need to Uh, work on today that's important? Who do you need to connect with today? And again, uh, more credit, uh, Brendan Burchard uh, created this. Uh, He has a book, High Performance Habits. He creates these planners. Uh, I I fill it out, um, you know, routinely every single morning. So that's Mm kind of, you know, gets me in the mindset. I think it's very similar to other other people's meditations or yoga, that they spend this kind of Zen, you know, power 20 minutes uh, alone. Uh, that's this kind of my version of that. And then the second thing that's really important to me, uh, it doesn't happen every day because sometimes something will mean that it has to happen at night, but 90% of the time or more, um, I get physical activity and exercise to start my day. I, I go run, I I ride, I, I bike, um, I, I make a point of trying to do it outside. And again, 90% of my workouts are are that way. I get to take in the sunshine, the fresh air. I see other people, I, I sort of de- decompress or disconnect from you know, the day as a whole and and get kind of lost in my my thoughts. And so uh, those are are the top um, two things. You know, number three is really looking at my plan for the day, the the calendar. Um, We get so stuck in Um, you know, the whirlwind of I got to do this and and I got to get that completed. I have to send that email. We sometimes forget to prioritize, you know, the things that matter most, the the wildly important goals, those big rocks. And and I do my calendar and manage my outlook sometimes a week to two or even three weeks in advance. I know where I'm going to be on a Tuesday at, you know, 11, um, not just Monday night, but, you know, days before. But I check in with that calendar. I make sure there's not any overlaps. Um, I like to make sure I've got a half an hour or an hour you know, of a free time in the middle of the day. And I already kind of plan and scheme, okay, what am I going to do with that time? Where's that phone call to my dentist going to go? Where's my my mm-hmm. my healthy lunch going to go? Where's mm-hmm. um, you know, just 15 minutes of kind of scrolling on Instagram if that's what I choose to do, going to go. Mm-hmm. Um, so everything is is planned. It's never just, oop, you know, life's happening to me and I have no clue. <laughs> um, it's the day is structured and it's structured by my design. So those are the few of the things um, that I do each morning to get the day off on the right foot. And Stacy got to I tell you, I love the question because so few people have a morning routine. And I think it's one of the biggest reasons Agreed. that their lives aren't working out the way they, they plan to, they, the, the day runs them instead of them running their day. So whatever yeah. they do, cause there's no real right or wrong answer, but I mean, just starting by having some, you know, morning routine, I think is really, really important.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So my last question, last question, what's your favorite word and why?
0: Oh, wow. That's a, tough one. (laughs) You have caught me completely and and totally off guard there. Uh, And that's the first time I I feel that way. I only get one. I mean, I'm writing a book for... uh,
1: I know. know, And you're a wordsmith. Lord knows that.
0: (laughs) Gosh, you know, um, I'm going to go with mindset. And I know we've we've talked about it, you know, Mm -hmm. here and there. And and I think the reason why is because it's it's encompassing of of so many other words. Um, You know, I I thought about happy. I thought about present. I thought about excited. I thought about fulfillment, joy. Um, Leadership is definitely a favorite word of mine. All of these words. Are really important to me, and they have significant. But life is about our mindset. It's it's really like you said earlier. You know how we show up in the world. That's a matter of mindset. If we're successful or not, that's a matter of mindset. The choices we make, it's a matter of mindset. So I I like mindset because anytime someone's having a problem or a struggle, it, it can always be resolved in mindset. It's something we control. It's it's right here. We carry it with mm-hmm. us from the day we're born to the day that we die. And and so much um, is under that umbrella. And when we work on our mindset. mindset. literally everything else can can change and so um i i will go with mindset if i only get one
1: (laughs) i love it no i absolutely love it and yes mindset's one of my favorite words too and if someone asked me that question i'd really have to step back uh, because i think the word would change depending on my state and and uh and, and and depending on on circumstances and and, and for me, I, I think probably one of my most probably one of my most empowering words, or favorite words, is choice.: okay. It really is.. Yep. Um, so Amy, it's been phenomenal talking with you today. I really appreciate you coming on the show. I know I know what your days look like, and it means a lot to me. If our listeners want to reach out to you, connect with you, how can they find you?
0: Sounds good. Uh, There's a couple ways I I am on LinkedIn, uh, you know, Amy Chambers. And uh, on my profile, uh, dozens uh, of of folks that I've worked with for and around for years, uh, you know, have, you know, put in a couple words. So uh, it it at least gives people a kind of a glimpse into um, if I am who I say I am. Uh, And so whenever I'm having a bad day, I I go back and I read those, um, not to make myself feel good, but to say, am I living up to what these former direct reports and employees have said about me and how I've impacted their life over the years? So that's kind of the favorite part of my profile is just what do other people think about how I've Impacted them. So that's on, on LinkedIn. And then I do have a, a Facebook page, um, Coach Amy Chambers, and anyone can find me on there. I, I'll respond within 24 hours always. And uh, really look forward to interacting with anyone that wants to talk about any of these concepts, leadership, mindset, happiness, fulfillment, success, um, and selling without selling. That would be uh, outstanding. So those are the, the top two ways.
1: Awesome. Thank you so much. Your success is important to me. And it's also important to me to make sure that these episodes are valuable to you. I would love for you to do a few things right now. I'd love for you to hop over to Instagram and follow us at Pivot Point Advantage. That's hop over to Instagram and follow us at Pivot Point Advantage. Second, I'd love it if you'd head over to Facebook and join our Sell Without Selling community. That's head over to Facebook and join our Sell Without Selling community. We have an immense amount of interaction on both platforms. We also share different information on both platforms. So we look forward to seeing you there. Last and definitely not least, I'd love to chat with you, give feedback on the episodes and find out any topics that you're interested in to help make this podcast more powerful and helpful to you achieving the success you've always dreamed of, desired and deserved. Head over to slash talk to Stacy. That's Pivotpointadvantage.com/talk to Stacy. Let's get a 15-minute call on the schedule. I look forward to getting to know you.